down the street, minding my business. Never saw coming, God is my witness. But you were there. Hey everybody, welcome back to the Redline Roots Podcast. Uh, hope this is some good company for you while you are physically distancing yourself from other people. Uh, really excited to bring you this conversation with Mark Arelli today. His new record, Blindsided, comes out on Friday, the 27th, and it's so good. I, I'm so excited for you to get to listen to this record that uh, I've had the great privilege of listening to for a while now to get ready for this interview. Um, we recorded this uh, back at the beginning of March, so it was before um, all of the coronavirus uh, shutdown and uh, canceling of gigs and things like that. Um, you know, um, so <laughs> I don't know what to make of that. It is what it is. Uh, we're, we're happy to put out these podcasts as a reminder of the community that we have um, as people who love music and people who perform music and, and bring it to others. Um, but I can't say enough about this record. It represents a little bit of, uh, you know, stepping out for, for Mark. He, I saw on his social media the other day that uh, when he was 15 and 25, he dreamed of being in Rolling Stone and, when he was 35, he kind of accepted that it would never happen. And now that he's 45, he's in Rolling Stone. So that's pretty cool. Um, so it's a departure from uh, some of the more folk roots that have defined some part. I, I mean, it's hard to say because Mark's work has been drawing on a broad range of genres for a long time, but certainly... Uh, this is the most rock and roll kind of Tom Petty-ish album uh, that he's put out, and it's really exciting. And uh, he worked with some incredible musicians to bring it together, and um, he was very generous with his time uh, on the podcast, giving us time to really dig into the big picture, but also some very specific songs that I was just super curious about. Um, and you gotta, gotta hang on to the end, um, cause Mark has quite a story about, uh, his performance at the Ryman, uh, last fall at the Americana Music Awards when he was nominated for his incredible song by degrees as song of the year. Um, but you're going to want to hear that one. All right. Without further ado, here's our conversation with Mark Arelli. time listening to this record man um thanks man yeah uh I, th this this has just been like kicking around for me mark so feel free to just 
like spike this. I'm I'm throwing up a throwing up a volleyball here, and you can be like, no way. And let me tell you all the reasons that you're wrong. But uh, was there was there a part of working on mixtape that sort of led you down this like sound approach that you know it's I mean like this is a I mean, it's still a Marcarelli record, but it's it's a pretty different sound than like for a song or, or your previous work. And Absolutely. It, it was mixed. Was that process like a bridge at all, or were you like, yeah, no, that was there's enough time distance between these two that I was really in a different place. I think it, you know. I think maybe if if anything, it would it would have been a bridge, and just just in terms of giving me a little more space to uh, right. to to write and explore what you know what it was I wanted to say and um, give little, uh, give me a little more time for some, some new inspirations uh, to kind of come to the fore, yeah. you know? Um, so yeah, I, you know, I don't, I, to me, mixtape uh, wasn't, wasn't so much a, a placeholder in, in a, in a, in a, in a way, but it, mm. it did give me some breathing room right. to kind of let the songs accumulate so that when it, when it came time to make another record of my own material, you know, I wasn't drawing from 14 or 15 songs. You know, I was drawing from, you know, a little over twice that amount, wow. you know. Yeah. And and that kind of lets you, you know, get really, really specific uh, in terms of, you know, crafting crafting a new vision as opposed to mm -hmm. just being like, well, this, this is what we got. <laughs> right, 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 right. Yeah. yeah. I mean, so it's, it's interesting because, I mean, lyrically, I just feel like there's, you know, really different perspectives in these songs and I want to get into some of the specifics but just sort of as you're thinking about big picture of the record just feels like there's you know really different takes on searching on loss on distance on you know sort of hindsight um and and a lot of different emotions you know like um you know in some ways despair in some ways joy in some ways you know sort of awe um so as you're thinking about that collection of songs, you know, I know that I know you just sent one out. I haven't had a chance to listen to it yet, but you said it almost made it. So yeah. how do you think about that filter of like this one's in and this one, I love you, but you're, you're going in the email. <laughs> yeah, right. I know. Um, in this case, I, I really, uh, I really tried to put my hand, I, I tried to get very intentional about who I was working with and why I was working with sure. them and then I tried to just really put myself completely in their hands so it, it wasn't that I was just totally submitting to other people's will it's that I I picked those people very carefully oh, and was lucky enough to get them all involved with the project and then you know, maybe I just had the good sense to kind of trust them. Uh, mm. So from from this perspective, from that perspective, like Zach Hickman, sure. obviously a longtime friend and, and collaborator. Mm -hmm. And I just, I felt like he kind of knew where I had been coming from, both professionally and just personally in my sure. life. Yeah. And sometimes, you know, he's he would have been uh privy to all those uh emotions and examining all those different things on long car rides between gigs mm -hmm. and whatnot and um i think sometimes 
other people might have more of a perspective on on how all those things fit together and how they're related that maybe you know we ourselves do you know in, in the middle of it sometimes so um so i really you know i really kind of just leaned on zach and uh part of his decisions i think were thematic uh yeah. and part of them were, were musical and just trying to figure out like how to best highlight um the players that were involved, you know, yeah. and uh, I think he did a really amazing job of that. And his choices really surprised me at first. And uh, yeah, things like uh, yeah, things can like, you give an example of something that you're like, huh, that's the, like uh, that's sure. The yeah. yeah, I mean, the one that comes to mind is the hitter that I, I released mm -hmm. as a single last year. Yeah. I mean. I I played that song in, in concert, you know, immediately after writing it, and it just always landed, and always felt like it had an impact. And of mm -hmm. course, you know, that's what you want, you know, for a record songs that that matter to people. And uh, I thought, well, yeah, of course we're going to record this, but it really it was one of the the only songs in this new group that that really addressed my kids and being a parent at yeah. all yeah. there's definitely been more of that in previous uh in previous releases but it was the only one this time around and you know sometimes if you just have one of something it can it can be yeah. part of what adds variety to a record yeah. and sometimes it can just be distracting and, and make it feel disjointed yeah and uh and so i thought i thought his his instinct to kind of tighten the frame a little bit the, yeah. the, the emotional frame um and maybe kind of leave leave the parenting um out of it uh yeah. was was a really good instinct and not one that i would have had right. <laughs> i remember feeling crestfallen when he when i got his list back and i was like Ooh. the hitter isn't isn't on here you know and, <laughs> and you're like i'm sure you just missed this one zach I'll add yeah <laughs> yeah right no and and he was right it wouldn't have fit with these songs right. but it, but um he also you know worked really hard to help me bring it bring it out on the, in its own right on in a different you know kind yeah. of way so um so yeah it was just i was basically that that different perspective i think it was obviously in all the songs waiting to be highlighted but yeah. i credit zach with a lot of of um you know the decisions that he made in terms of how how starkly it gets highlighted i mean so i mean it feels like one of the things that you're sort of speaking to mark is like in a creative process like sometimes you can be too close to something um you know and i know you've you know played the you've played the producer role before as well on on several records and yep. you know i mean um what do you what do you think is sort of key in order to developing that trust in each other to be able to say to an artist or to be able to receive it as an artist like um, here's where I think we should go um, even though it's not yeah I'll leave it there well yeah I mean I think it really it really all comes down to to the songs and. Uh -huh. And really, kind of just listening to the to the essence of the songs. You know, so often they'll tell you where where things need to go, mm -hmm. um, and and they'll tell you they'll tell you that regardless of you know 
what you perceive as your trajectory as an artist or your image or your, you know, all that other kind of BS that, that can, that can be distracting. And I think a lot of times what we perceive as, um, you know, overproduction, uh, especially in like a song oriented format, I think a lot of overproduction is just really code for bad production and, and production that doesn't, honor the songs you know and because some songs want to be big and rocking and you know like there's nothing inherently uh you know different in 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 terms of quality uh for like you know a day in the life versus blackbird you know i mean one has got the whole kitchen sink and the other one's just a dude with a guitar but the, the production is equally you know, suitable for both of them. Right. And, uh, and I think that's really the, the, the skill for, for a producer. And, um, you know, in, in our case, we just, we were so fortunate because of this band we had cobbled together, these, these wonderful musicians that yeah. all kind of knew each other, but had actually never, I don't believe it ever played together in a specific configuration before. Uh-huh. Um, you know, we really, we had, every color available to us if we wanted to right. to to add it from the palette but um honestly there wasn't there, there wasn't really a lot of of uh there was thinking but there wasn't a lot of overthinking you know um yeah it's it really is was they, they were one of the guys just said to me you know like songs like this they're just inevitable you just you listen down once and you're <laughs> like yeah i i got it and yeah. And, you know, we didn't, we really didn't labor over anything more than, you know, a handful of takes because it just, it seemed obvious once you, once you got the right songs and the right people in the same room. Yeah. And uh, Mark, did you, did you record it in Nashville? Is that right? I did. Yeah. Um, not because I was trying to make like a, a, yeah. a Nashville play or right, a Nashville right. record. Mm-hmm. Um, these are guys that I had met um, in my travels as a, as either an artist in my own right or as a, as a sideman over the last four or five years, um, you know, every time you go out on a tour with somebody, yeah. you know, maybe, maybe you don't see the headliner so much, but you know, there's a guy in his band that you yeah. really connect with. And, you know, that was the case with like, uh, when I went out with Josh opening for, uh, uh Jason Isbell, mm-hmm. uh, Sadler Vaden and I, you know, walked into the backstage area on the first day and we both had on like the exact same Nike black sneakers, you know, <laughs> so we were, you know, we were like sneaker buddies from first sight and, nice. you know, he just really connected after that. And, you know, I could tell the, a similar kind of story in, in, um, you know, for every one of the other guys in the band. And it just, I just started thinking about, well, if I am going to work with different people this time around, like who are the people that I've really just personally connected with, mm-hmm. even though I may not have actually made music with any of them. Right. Uh, and I hadn't um, with these guys. I just, you know, shared meals or, you know, backstage conversations mm-hmm. or, you know, what have you with these with these guys and it was just a a feeling you know kind of a gut feeling that they were that there was enough there to work on for for bringing these songs to life and and the fact that we got them all you know available on the same four days is just that was a that was the universe 
walked beside me in joy and in despair. Now I need something to lean on, but you're not here. There's an evil wind blowing. I feel it in my bones. I don't know where I'm going or how to get back home. I've been looking for a little kindness, but it's hard to And it's hard to find these days. If I could go back where we started. Yeah, there's part of me that sometimes you know wonders if getting out of your you know uh, environment uh, makes things flow in a different way. Um, but oh, it certainly does. Yeah, there. I mean, there were times when it was a lot, it, it was better and more necessary for me to be, you know, close to home and to kind of treat yeah. the recording process as like, dad's going to the office today and he'll be back tonight, yeah, right. put you to bed, <laughs> right. you know, and um, these days, uh, you know, it really, it really is better for everyone if dad just goes away for a while and does what he has to do <laughs> and is completely focused on that. Right. And, you know, everyone else is, is in the loving, you know, attention of right. mom and whoever else we get set up. They're all, they're all fine, Yeah. but it doesn't, it's not so, it's not as easy as it used to be for me to kind of juggle them both at the same time. I think it's just much better for all of us if, if I go and do what I need to do and then, Right. And focus completely on it, and then come home and yeah. focus completely on them. Yeah, yeah, that makes sense. That makes sense. I mean, the juggling that headspace is, you know, I, I mean, I think sometimes, you know, regardless of your work, sometimes if you're trying to, you know, balance that out, you think you're being generous to your family by saying, "Oh, well, I'll do this, and then I'll be home," and that sort of thing. But your head is still, you know in the other space and so you're not oh really yeah home, you know yep um, totally that's for me like making records um particularly as a producer but also as an artist like hmm. it, it is just this all-encompassing thing yeah. um because you know I, I, there's so much attention now to to live music at, in part i guess because it's it's um it's something that can't be downloaded or streamed right. or whatever and it's right. And it is an amazing thing, but the records are the thing that are around forever. Yeah. You know, like there's no more Marcarelli concerts after I die. <laughs> you know, <laughs> yeah. so uh, there the concerts are a limited resource and precious for that reason. But the records are these these statements that you know hopefully will live forever, long beyond me. So mm. I really, to me, that is really that makes them really important uh, and, and just in terms of giving them the, the resources, you know, uh, financial and emotional and professional that you can give them and artistic right. Uh, right. resources that you can give them. Cause it's, it, nobody, I don't, nobody wants to hear a good record. 
I, I'm not interested in, in making good records. I want to make a great record, uh-huh. and I don't. I, I want to listen to great records. Like there's yeah. just so much great, and there's so much great stuff out there. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like there's there's no need to waste time on stuff that's like that's eh, good. You know. Uh-huh. <laughs> I'm not saying it shouldn't be made. It's just I don't. I, I don't have time for it. You know, and, and that's not what I'm trying to do. Like if I'm gonna go sequester myself from my from the family for a few days right. and spend thousands of dollars and, and stuff on this uh, i want to i want to be swinging for the fences you know yeah. and i i think that's something that's be that's been put into sharper relief as the as the industry changes and as i get older and it gets harder to kind of get people's attention with this this sort of thing it's right. uh, i think it just becomes that much more important to me so I mean, so there's there's uh, one of the things that's interesting to me about that, Mark, is that um, you know I mean for what it's worth, I think you've made a great record, but it also feels like it like it feels both like loose and very tight. <laughs> that makes sense. Yeah. It's got that, yeah. You know, and so. Um, <laughs> I mean, even just that, like, uh, 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 cackle at the beginning of the second song. Oh, <laughs> um, yeah. yeah. That's Sadler. <laughs> oh, nice. Okay. Uh, you know, but but it it feels like y'all had a lot of fun making this record. So how do you, I mean, in that process, how do you strike that balance of, like, we're going for something great here, and we're going to have a great time doing it? Well, um Maybe you didn't have fun. I don't know. (laughs) No, we had a blast. We had a blast. I mean, it's tough. Like four days is not a long time um, to do all the things that we did. Um, But, you know, there's only so much money and time. And uh, so we did have a blast making it. And I wanted to make, I wanted, I wanted to, I didn't want to just go down and, and avail myself of these particular you know, professional resources. I right. wanted it to be like a really fun experience and I wanted it to be fun for the guys mm-hmm. that were playing with me too. Mm-hmm. And yet when we went down there, we were really honest with them. Like that's a company town, you know, and there's a lot of sessions that, yep. you know, are kind of like union houses and union hours and mandated breaks and yep. all this stuff. And that is what it is. But we were like, you know, this is an independent record. Right. We don't have a lot of time. Like, we're gonna work until we get it done and try and respect everybody's time. But yeah. we don't. We don't have another shot to get it. Um, and you know, it helps. And it's how to, how to say this. It helps that 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 I can do my vocals live, and that's yeah. that's really the way that I I want to do it. Um, uh-huh. And. Uh, I, I think I don't always appreciate how how um, Zach calls it my superpower. <laughs> you know, like yeah. it's just to me, it's just like, well, this what needs to happen because it's fun and I don't have a lot of money usually, you yeah. know. Uh, but it is the kind of thing where he'll sit the players down before we go go to track the first song and be like, literally any take that Mark sings could be that could be the take so you know don't don't waste time trying to get into it like commit 
to the to the process and commit to the performance because it may be it may end up being the one. Right. <laughs> and I think it kind of I think actually, you know, there's maybe a little bit of pressure there. I don't know. I didn't talk to the guys about it, but I think I think there's a part of I think there's a part of all of them and a part of me too that that really kind of gets off on on that um, that element of, of uh, you know performance right. in the studio. Like a lot of our favorite records, probably a lot of them were made that way. You know, right. get a bunch of people in a room, have them make music, hit record. You know, like and you know make it. It's like that first Beatles record was made in a day or whatever. You know, it's like that's that's the kind of vibe. Like and. I think a lot of us kind of really. I think so. I think it was. I, I, I might be mistaken, but um, I think I think you know musicians of a certain caliber, and of course, I think the ones that I worked with, they, they're all better at what they do than maybe I am. But mm. they they all kind of get off on on that that kind of tightrope sense, and and it's also I think fun for them because they know that we're not going to be really kind of dicking around and, and right. second guessing things like right. we're trying to document something here and mm -hmm. um, something that is always going to be a moving target and always going to evolve. So like, let's just take the best kind of snapshot of it yeah. that we can. Yeah. Yeah. So, I, I mean, I'd love to dig in on some of these specific songs, if that's okay. And, um, Absolutely. You know, uh, you've got, you know, I don't know if it just came out or if it's coming out the rose colored rear view as, as one of the singles and just um, came out just, just as we, just before you called <laughs> <laughs> minutes. It's, it's or it comes out tomorrow. Actually, they, they did, okay. they previewed it today. Okay. All right, cool. Um, I'd love to talk about sort of, you know, you thread a needle on that, on that song. Yeah. Lyrically. And I, I mean, it feels like, it feels like the you know you've got a very you know personal element of it that is this sort of looking back but you've got a, you know a much broader scope you know kind of from a, a national hindsight and it feels like maybe the song started there with kind of like man you know like the kind of make america great again perspective of like well who was it great for kind of thing yeah oh god i've tried so hard to avoid using that that slogan I but yes that's that's in there you know i'm very hesitant to use any of his language about anything yeah um, yeah but yeah i mean it, it you're right i mean that that perspective is is uh is kind of in there and um but i guess how i mean so it feels like I, I don't know how intentional this was or this is just sort of how the song evolved but it feels like you know, purposeful to not just do one or the other, you know, like that, let not just have the personal sort of looking back when Bruce Springsteen was in the mainstream, you know, and we all, yeah. them, you know, I mean, that sort of thing. And also not just the, you know, when everything was, you know, when things were great for, you know, white men like you and I, but, you know, I remember hearing, uh, you know Zadie Smith, author. Yes, I know. I know the name. I can't say I'm, I'm as familiar as I should be. With Get familiar, work. man. She's great. But I saw her uh, speak, and she said, "You know, she's a biracial woman from London, uh, 
And she said, you know, like people play that game, like where, when would you want to travel back in time? And for me, it's never, you know, like there's never been a time that was better for women of color than right now, yeah. even though we still have a long way to go. And so, sure, you know, how important was that balance for you in the song, I guess, that personal and the broader? Well, it was, it was very important to, to highlight that last, um, mm-hmm. that last sentiment there. Um, I, I would, I would hope, or I would, um, I would of course honor and, and, uh, and echo and agree with that sentiment coming from a person of color or a woman, mm-hmm. uh, or both. Um, but I think it's also, it's really like, I think white men need to hear it from other white men too. Yeah. Yeah. Um, maybe cause for better or worse, sometimes like that, those are the voices that they're used to listening to. Yeah. Um, I mean, certainly for worse, what am I saying for better or worse? It, it's <laughs> definitely worse. For worse. Um, but you know, I mean, it's, it's that whole concept of, of being an ally. Um, mm-hmm. and you know, how do you, how do you kind of amplify the other, the other ways of looking at, at things and mm-hmm. the other perspectives. And, uh, you know, that song kind of took, just took forever. I was re- writing, rewriting it and revising it and working on the, the, the last verse specifically right up until the morning we went in to record the song on the last day. Like we just yeah. kept pushing the song, the recording of it back because I didn't think it was done. What, what was, what, what were you stuck on? You didn't... I just was. I just wanted it to to have this very visceral impact mm. um, at the end, and I think that. Um, and I think that using using the phrase, you know, only white men miss the good old days. Yeah. You know, I think that was that was the kind of punch that I was the kind of kind of lyrical punch that I I was kind of missing, mm-hmm. and and the whole thing centered on. A contribution from Dinty Child, who, yeah. you know, he he is a co-writer on on that song with me, but he only wrote one line, and <laughs> and we that's not for lack of trying, right. um, and that lack and that line was the one that unlocked it, unlocked the rest of the song for me, and that line was, uh, you know, coming back to the notion of all watching the same screen uh, yeah. that we we talk about in the first verse, you yeah. know. It was he. He was the one that said, "You know, it's like we we all watched the same screen, but we didn't see the same thing." Right. And I was like, "Oh man, that <laughs> that is it." As a co-writer. <laughs> yeah, I mean, and so like I, when I when I was you know working on the song, I remember I woke up early in the last day and was because I was just trying to like get up before my editorial brain kicked in and just yeah. try and like zen zen home in on this this you know notion of what i was trying to say and uh and that line you know that that thing that dinty said to me kind of popped in into my head and i was like yeah that's that's it you yeah. know and and how you look at things depends on a lot of things it yeah. depends on your gender it depends on your cultural identity it depends on your race sometimes you know yeah. and um so you know the whole thing kind of kind of just fell together right after that, and I, I've never felt so relieved to get a song, you know, on tape as I as I did. I was hoping that I wasn't going to have some kind of lyrical, you know, edit after 
after we had finished it because because <laughs> it just it happened the, the ink was still drying you know when right. we were tracking it but it it really did you can kind of tell at least you know i think most writers can kind of tell like when they're actually saying something that they want to say and they can say it with conviction you know yeah. it's you know, and sometimes you you run out of time uh, to get there. But uh, I'm really, really grateful I was able to get there for that one. Well, uh, I, I, I have several questions that popped in my head, but they all take us away from the record, and I, I want to stay. <laughs> I want to stay sure. with the record, and so like, can we go? Like, I want to go in a pretty different direction here, Mark, because I I just feel like um, the the song that I've been really wearing out, if you can do that on a digital. Uh, uh, version is Stranger's Eyes. I just oh like, cool. Oh my god! And it just feels like I don't know. It feels like um, you know. I mean, there's a there's a bunch of stuff about it, but like it just feels like if you know what you said before about being able to record the vocal live. I mean, that feels like that song just depends on we're gonna crush this vocal and everything else is gonna take care of itself kind of thing um, yeah yeah i mean it, it really you know that song in particular i think you're totally right like it's got to be the vocal performance has to has to be you know both emotionally believable yeah. and just technically really solid you know because yeah. otherwise it can kind of it could could very easily sound like you know a white kid trying to sing soul music really bad yeah <laughs> You know, yeah. and uh, and I'm I'm very conscious of of that sort of thing. Like when I'm working in a in a musical idiom that maybe I've never worked in before, mm -hmm. or something that maybe people might not expect from me. You know, like this happened uh, in um, you know when I made Hillbilly Pilgrim too. Mm -hmm. It was like you know I'm not known for for my Western swing. You mm -hmm. know, mm -hmm. <laughs> as a kid from New England, so. You know, if you're gonna go there, it better be good. Right. <laughs> so, yeah. you know, that song, uh, you know, just personally means a lot to me, and uh, and the the vocal performance was really is a performance, you know, because it's it's it really demands demanded a lot in terms of just uh, emotional dynamics and musical t dynamics and, and range, you know, and yeah. uh, and so I was. I was really glad when I had that one under my belt. <laughs> oh, I bet, I bet. And, uh, you know, it's funny, I, like, I remember, 
this was a while ago. I remember seeing this documentary, Mark, it was, and they had this like studio session with Buddy Miller and Jason Isbell in the documentary. I don't remember what it was, but oh, sounds great. It was great, and and Jason sang "Cover Me Up," and after he sang it. Buddy said something nice about the song and, and Jason was like, yeah, now I just have to figure out how to sing it every night because it's such a vocally yeah. demanding song. And so I'm, I'm wondering about that with, with a song like Strange. I, I think it's a very demanding vocal song. And, you know, how do you think about that of, you know, I mean, do you have to be strategic of where you, I don't know where you put it in the set, but like about, you know, things to make sure that, like you're in good shape to to hit that live. Yeah, I definitely have made a lot of um, I've definitely made some conscious choices in terms of, of uh, decisions um, uh, to to kind of be able to to do this sort of thing uh, dependably. Um, you know, mainly just getting really a lot more serious about prioritizing exercise. And yeah. making making sure that I just am in the best shape that I can be in just physically. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then um, also just basically stopped drinking uh, except for, you know, social very social holiday occasions when I don't have a lot of gigs on the horizon. Yeah. Like, there, I wouldn't say there was any kind of problem or, or issue there. It mm-hmm. was just... I think initially we, my wife and I were like, let's take a month off. Maybe we'll lose a few pounds, you know? Mm -hmm. (laughs) And then like, I just felt so great and noticed it in my voice. Right. And I was like, I, I'm, I don't think I'm going back and I, I miss it. Oh, you know, a lot just in terms of like, you know, a really good glass of red wine or something, you know? Uh, But, and I'll still have one on occasion, but you know, it, I can sing the way that I want to sing, you know, right. reliably now, yeah. and I wouldn't trade that for for anything. Yeah. And I, I'm, I'm sure, you know, I can't speak for him, but I'm sure that that played a role for Jason as well, you know. Yeah, that's interesting. I mean, it's funny. Like when you were talking about overproducing, I remember hearing him say at one point that his first couple solo records, he just layered sound on because he didn't trust his voice. Um, yeah which is mm-hmm. I mean, crazy but um, um yeah <laughs> and i love so two other really different songs that i want to check in on mark um um and uh the river always wins I yeah mean, really interesting like so you're like speaking as the river there um, yeah you know do you mind talking about the kernel of that song and sort of you know kind of what you were what you were hoping to sort of explore there taking a very very different perspective yeah as i as i recall um it started with that riff which yeah. is kind of just uh that's just one of those things i could play all day it, all feels, day. it feels so good yeah. to play that and um it was a co-write with uh susan catania oh, yeah. uh, who's a writer up here yeah. and i think whenever I co-write with people a, a little trick that I, I use is to um, 
is to just kind of think like, okay, well, whatever we write is, is for them. It's not for me. Like, and it helps, it helps me kind of get out of my head and, and take the pressure off. And I, I'm at that point, I'm just like in, in service to them. Like what, what, what do we need to do to this song so that it's something that feels good for you to sing? Um, and that song, I don't know whose idea it was to, to write about like a kind of mill town sort of thing, yeah. but, um, it just, we almost got all the way through and we just wasn't feeling, I was like, well, whatever, it's, it's Susan's song, you know, like if she's mm-hmm. into it, that's cool. I'll just make it the best, the best I can make it. But as we started to get towards the end, like I could tell that there was something that wasn't cutting it for her. And I was like, oh, all right, well, if it's her song and it's going on her record and, and she's, and she's not fully buying into it yet, then something needs to change. And I, I think it might have been her idea to switch it to like, well, what if we sang it from the river's perspective? Mm-hmm. And, you know, that was just a light bulb moment. It was like, yes, I, I don't care how much harder it is or how, how much work we have to do to make it, you know, to make it, uh, uh, you know, come, come across. But that that is definitely what needs to happen. Hmm. And uh, so, yeah, I think it, I think that was a case where the co-writing you know, really helped kind of get me out of out of my head and, and show me a different way to approach it. And um, and when she said that, it was it was just obvious. Like, yeah, this this has to happen. Huh. So, um, all right. So, let let me just clarify a little bit, Mark. So you're saying that like, so that you don't get hung up on. Eh, I don't know if that's the way to go or or anything like that. You just sort of detach your your self from the song like this isn't for me regardless of where it ends up that's yeah i try to have some distance yeah i just try and have as few expectations as possible you know um i just it's a little trick that i found to kind of de-escalate the stakes uh in my Mm -hmm. head uh Mm -hmm. for me Uh, and i don't like i don't know if i can really explain it any better than that it just if it's if if it's something that's got to come from from my voice then there's a tendency to kind of really hold on and dig in mm-hmm. and that can really stall the flow and um i mean it can stall a flow in in writing just a song by yourself but sure. it can definitely do it um when you're writing with somebody and mm-hmm. you're trying you know you're trying not to uh not to offend or not not to criticize or you know something like that so i found it just really to be helpful at least at the start to just just let go right from the beginning and just just be like you know even if we write a even if we write a crappy song yeah that's still a pretty great way to spend the morning you know, uh, you know, and, and yeah. how lucky are we that we get to do that? And uh, yeah. you know, I, I think I think that's something that I kind of took from um, hearing some of the guys in the Traveling Wilburys. I uh-huh. think it was probably Petty who said something to the effect of like he, how in awe he was of these songwriting giants. They would just throw out anything, yeah, um, right. no matter how bad it seemed. Right, and uh, and you know. If it 
if it never improved, they just move on and write a better song the next time. You know, it was it was no big thing. And I I kind of like I kind of like that approach, just yeah. trying to not be. I mean, I believe in songs and I take them very seriously, but sure. but maybe to not take yourself so seriously. Yeah. Uh, it, it, I find it helps. Yeah. just stands out because it's such a sonic kind of breath in the record um uh and that's western veil yeah um, and i mean it i mean i mean in terms of sound it's it's i mean it fits in the in the record don't get me wrong but but sure. you're sort of taken out of yourself a little bit here you know there's there's a real ethereal quality to the to the sound there and I, I was just wondering about some of those decisions that that you all had to make on on that one well i think that that um the the sonics of that kind of stretch from this the same sort of uh quality that 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 uh the lyrics have and that that yeah. inspired the song you know mm-hmm. like that song is inspired by uh, some recent adventures in the American West yeah. and you know I've always I've always loved it out there and um, and it's as a kid growing up in, in the Boston suburbs you know right. the, the Red Rock country of of Utah you know like yeah. that's that's Mars I mean I drive yeah. out there and look around you know as far as the eye can see which is in itself a, a kind of <laughs> foreign thing (laughs) to be able to gaze for miles and miles and miles uh but just the the colors and the the rock formations and the the whole gestalt of the thing is just so so different than what i'm used to uh coming back to me you know as like the world (laughs) i feel like i'm just in a different world and um And so it's, it's, you know, that song is kind of just basically kind of a, a tone poem sort of meditation yeah. on, on what that, what it, what the West kind of does to me. Yeah. Um, 
and even my wife, you know, she, she always, uh, the first time she came out, out there with me, uh, cause I'd been out for work, but I hadn't been out with the family until a few years back. Mm-hmm. She was like, I just, she's like, you're a different person out there. You're mm-hmm. just so, so much freer and, uh, you know, kind of like a little kid, you know, yeah. like, do you want to go, do you want to go check out that? Rock formation? Hell yeah, I do. Let's go, you know? <laughs> scrambling up, you know, things I probably shouldn't be scrambling up, you right. know? I just feel so... It just feels very uh, sp- free and, and spiritual yeah. out there. And so I kind of married that concept with... Um, or that feeling with the with the concept of, uh, uh, you know, thin places. So yeah. I forget who came up with it, but, yeah. you know, that that place where the veil between you know either life and death or mm-hmm. or if you think about it a different way just something you know the, the kind of pedestrian everyday thing with the kind of cosmic metaphysical you know spiritual realm like that mm-hmm. that's kind of how i was thinking of it in that song and just you know trying to explain what you know try, trying to paint a picture of of how it can feel when you're kind of w- walking right along that yeah. that border yeah. Um, yeah and the music just comes from that 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 central hook yeah. uh, of that song is is one of it's one of the, my favorite things that i've ever written musically yeah. and it's it just it's another thing like uh, the river always wins you 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 start playing it and you could play it all day yeah. i mean i i just played it last night for people mm-hmm. and like the song i mean i fortunately broke the spell by the end of the song and was able to like do the thing that I was supposed to do to end the song. But I mean, there was a point in the middle there where I could have displayed that for the rest of my life. Yeah. (laughs) The 30 minute Western veil. Yeah. I mean, the, 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 some jam band is more than welcome to to, to take it and run with it. Would love to hear it. Um, Mark, do you have like, Four or five more minutes. Um, yeah, absolutely. Okay. okay. Yep. Um, all right. So I I just have to ask you about this because uh, I I like think about it every once in a while and just get like anxious, and, <laughs> and that is you're at the Ryman about to perform by degrees. <laughs> And your guitar strap breaks. I think I have that right. Yeah, it slipped off the end of the the, uh, the end pen holder that holds it to my guitar. And your guitar cracks. Yeah, falls like three feet to the ground and cracks. Like I can hear the milk carton kids like literally introducing me. Oh, my God. As it's happening. And uh, so just... Yeah, it was a it was an otherworldly experience. Uh, I mean, not not necessarily one I would like to repeat. No. Um, but I will say there's a couple things. So yeah. first of all, thank God I had 20 years of, ex- of performance experience under my belt right. when that happened. Mm-hmm. Because if that had happened when I was a kid, I would have just broken down. Yeah, right, <laughs> like, right. You know, I mean, as it was, a part of me kind of got really hyper aware, like it, like you do in like very stressful, like life and death situations. And yeah. then, 
at the same time, there's this kind of detachment, you know, kind of floating above yourself. Uh, you know, I mean, I think I felt like I would feel like if like some large predator was chasing me, <laughs> it's just really, it felt that kind of like that much of a violation or that, yeah. that threatening. And, um, you know, I looked around, there were uh, Lori McKenna and her manager were standing right next to me and Lori's like, you can use my guitar. Right. And I was like, I can't use your guitar. It's wired in a different way than mine. It won't work. You know, like we had sound checked and everything like, and, and I'd already played my guitar up there. It sounded great, you know, yeah. um, on a song with her. And, uh, so I knew I couldn't just plug another guitar into my rig. Right. And, um, and then Lori's manager just kind of got right up in my face and said, it's going to be fine. It's going to be fine. Just go out and play it like that. It's going to be fine. Wow. <laughs> and you know what? It was it like was great. the, uh, the guitar tech, um, stuck a headphone, a pair of headphones in the, in the jack where you plug the guitar in. And he's like, I still hear signal. It sounds like it's even in tune. And he's like, I think it's, I think it's okay. And wow. you know, it, it was both, very much not okay and cracked in five places and okay at the same time you know right. i went out and, and did the thing and i was able to enjoy it um yeah. you know especially by the end uh but yeah when i walked out there with that broken guitar in front of you know the, the biggest audience and the the you know the most of my musical colleagues and heroes I've ever played yeah. in front of before. I was like walking to the mic, thinking, "Oh my God, is this really happening? Yeah. <laughs> and is it really happening in this way? You know, like right. uh, why am why am I being thrown this universal this curveball from the universe like now? Like what did I do yeah. Yeah. <laughs> to deserve this? And and you know." And, and then it's like, ladies and gentlemen, here's Marcarelli and friends, you know. And then it's like, okay, time to go yeah. and pl and do do your job. And uh, yeah, that was a that was a really that was a really ama amazing night for for so many reasons. But yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. as everyone told me, like, wow, that's a great story. And I, you know, I was like, oh, it's gonna be a great story. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> when the guitar is fixed, yeah, it will be a great story. Yeah. and it has turned into one. Um, and, uh, the repair is almost flawless. You almost can't see where it was, where it was broken, except for this one little part of, of the binding, um, that I, that he kind of, as I remember it, he said, I kind of left it a little, a little proud so you can kind of see <laughs> if you look really closely, you can tell. That's amazing. Yeah. I didn't, I didn't so, want to make this too perfect. <laughs> yeah, exactly. You know, I mean, yeah, it was just an amazing, an amazing moment. Um, and you know, and and though it, 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 and then to to kind of lose out to John Prine, if you can even call it losing, uh, it feels more like winning. You know, just to be just to be nominated in a songwriting category, yeah, with John Prine. You know, if he had asked me before last year, like, do do songwriting awards or awards, musical awards in general, do they mean anything? I would have said absolutely not. Yeah. And on some levels, I, I still feel that way, you yeah. know, in terms of, you know, if I don't ever get one, uh, I'm not going to stop. That's not going to make me stop doing what I do. Right. 
but to be to be nominated for a songwriting award with with heroes of years like that yeah. um that that really felt like a a much needed vote of confidence that mm-hmm. was that was a beautiful thing wow i'm i'm anxious and sweaty all over again <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah uh, i definitely uh, checked that strap uh, compulsively oh man i bet <laughs> oh god um all right well that that reflection on songwriting is a good transition to our last question, which is, uh, so uh, Langhorn Slim, do you know this guy? I know who he is. We have, yeah. we have many mutual friends, but I don't think he's ever great. met. He's so great. Um, but uh, he did this thing on Twitter a couple of years ago, and I haven't seen him do it in a while, but like, I don't, whatever, it's not a big deal. Like every few days, couple weeks, he would just tweet something out like um, uh, Leonard Cohen tonight will be fine best song ever and that was the whole tweet no explanation no like and then two days later it would be you know Otis Redding these these arms of mine best song ever right? <laughs> uh, and so just just quickly to to say like what I love about it is that you know it's just sort of unabashed joy for this song in this moment. Like no need to qualify or say like this one's better than that or all those, you know, cause like, you know, best albums ever and best songs ever. Those are really yeah. stupid after a while. Right. But sure. I like this because it's just like in this moment at this time, and I'm just sharing it with you, you should know this song cause it's the best song ever. Right. Yeah. That's it. <laughs> And so that's the question. Mark Arelli at 12.09 p.m. on Thursday, March 5th. Oh, Best man. Best song ever. <laughs> <laughs> but, you, but you can't. Well, I just want to say, I just want to say, before, like, just to give you a little, little thinking space, you also can't explain it or qualify it or, you know, defend or, and please don't say like, I couldn't possibly, cause you know, like, yeah, we know that there are many, many songs that you could. Yeah. From. Yeah. Of course. No, yeah. I got, I got one right, right off the top of my head. Like I, I feel like I should honor the, the impulsiveness of it, yes. but uh, I'm going to go with whispering pines by the band. There you go. I mean, don't say anything. Yeah. Best song ever. <laughs> <laughs> That's all I'm going to say. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> I watch you go about your days in your ordinary It's like there's nothing wrong. Whispering Pines, man. It's such a good song. Um, best song ever, apparently. Um yeah, this song that, that is playing over the outro, this is Stranger's Eyes, the one that I've been uh, playing on repeat off this record, but definitely pick up Blindsided. It comes out on Friday. Um, and, you know, it matters more than ever that they actually buy it and not just stream it on Spotify. Um, and, uh, you know, when we get back to normal, which will happen, um, get out and catch Mark in concert. I was lucky enough to live in the Boston area for a while and, and caught 
him several times and uh it's just a great show it's you know someone who's just a pro doing what he does best um and please share this episode um let us know if there are folks you want to hear from on the podcast um pass it around we need uh we need connection now more than ever um hope you all are doing well and uh stay in touch Yeah.